2017 media organizations that investigated the Israeli cyber surveillance company and Turning out with the biggest spy scandal in cyber history. We have been a list of more than 50,000 phone numbers. This includes activists, journalists. I've been hacked using this Pegasus uh, spyware. Should we be afraid? Nobody is, is safe at this time. Hello, I'm Richard Gisbert, and you're at The Listening Post, where we don't cover the news, we cover the way the news is covered. Here are the media stories we're examining this week. User warning for activists, dissidents, and journalists the world over. Your mobile phones may have been compromised by spyware that one company is selling and authoritarian governments are buying. A match made in space. Rockets, their billionaire payloads. You sit in the Jeff Bezos chair. Then news outlets that cannot get enough of the story. There is a crucial election coming up in Germany, and the most widely read newspaper is building up its coverage, trying to maintain its influence. And pranking anti-lockdown protesters in the UK. Can you feel the hand of the new world order upon us? With a fake news reporter and trolling the tabloids driving the story. It has been a week now since a global consortium of media outlets blew the lid off a huge surveillance scandal, revealing how the hacking tool Pegasus has been used by governments around the world to spy on dissidents and journalists via their mobile phones. This is not the first time the spyware has made headlines. Pegasus is the brainchild of an Israeli tech company, NSO. It came up in the investigation into the murder of Saudi journalist Jamal Khashoggi, what is different this time around is the scale of the story, the leak of 50,000 phone numbers belonging to some big-name politicians, corporate figures, and nearly 200 journalists reportedly identified as targets of NSO's clients. The evidence would suggest that the company has been all too willing to sell its spyware to repressive governments known to crush dissent. Ultimately, this is a story about privacy, the vulnerabilities of modern technology, and the lack of regulation of a surveillance industry that's on the rise. Our starting point this week is the malware that's infecting people's phones. Because this is a weapon, and once it's inside your phone, uh, they get everything. They got your voice, they activate the camera, they can read your encrypted message. So it's like a person that is over your shoulder and is reading what is what you're reading, who is watching what you are watching. So it's like a spy in your pocket. A global journalistic consortium, more than 80 reporters, 17 different news outlets in 10 countries, pouring over 50,000 phone numbers to confirm what had long been suspected, that Pegasus, a spyware tool developed in Israel, is being used by multiple governments to target the phones of opposition figures, activists, and journalists like Bradley Hope and Rohini Singh. I'm an investigative reporter. I um, write on very powerful people. I've done stories on people associated with Prime Minister Narendra Modi. I've written on uh, Amit Shah, the Home Minister of India, who's arguably the second most powerful person in this country. So obviously the government would not want me doing this story. So it makes me angry and I feel very, very violated. This whole investigation and revelations and all these newspapers, what it shows is that this is something that's widespread. We've seen in the past lots of individual cases of a journalist or a dissident, evidence that this software has been used. 
But what's so powerful about this reporting is that we're seeing massive abuse of this kind of technology that was meant to be used for national security. Pegasus was created by an Israeli tech firm, NSO, and first surfaced in news stories in 2016. Then came occasional reports of rights activists and journalists in countries like the United Arab Emirates, Morocco, and Mexico, having their phones infiltrated, suggesting the spyware was growing popular with more and more governments. The consortium proved that. Its work began when a list of 50,000 phone numbers identified for targeting by Pegasus users was leaked to a Paris-based NGO, Forbidden Stories. Your phone was compromised. Working along with Amnesty International's security lab, the NGO was able to identify some of the targets, including political leaders and opposition figures, as well as dozens of journalists. It's just pretty much automatic. The first step of the investigation was to identify the name, who was behind the phone numbers. Your messages, your images, just everything that's happened on your phone. We were able to identify some journalists, human rights uh, defenders, and we told them we have reasons to believe that you have been under surveillance, and would it be possible to check your phone? And this is where the Amnesty International Security Lab did a fantastic job because they were able to set up a process to know if your phone is infected by the Pegasus software. And we found traces of infection inside the phones of many people, and those traces are linked to the NSO software Pegasus. The governments that have done business with NSO have a lot to answer for, but most have either denied buying the spyware or are staying silent like Saudi Arabia, which relied on Pegasus to infect the phones of people close to Jamal Khashoggi before the journalist was killed by Saudi operatives. India, where Prime Minister Modi's chief political rival, Rahul Gandhi, has been targeted, as have reporters, including from the news site The Wire. Then there's Mexico. Its former government used the spyware on its critics, including dozens of opposition politicians, some of whom are now in power. That started in 2017, the same year that a journalist, Cecilio Pineda, was murdered. His phone had been hacked. We found the, name, the phone numbers of uh, some Mexican journalists, and one of them was Cecilio Pineda. Only two months after, we see the numbers of Cecilio Pineda in the list. Cecilio was killed. We have a lot of cases of journalists, even in Hungary, with our colleagues of uh, Direct 36, or in India, the team of the, the Wire, who were investigating people very close to, uh, to, uh, to Modi. The numbers are huge. Edward Snowden says that the 50,000 uh, numbers that we're seeing, if uh, this is not checked, it will turn into 50 million in a very short time. So the database is growing. And so it's very clear that they only sell to budget governments. And the Indian government so far has not clarified whether it has bought a Pegasus spyware. Tell us clearly, yes or no, did you buy Pegasus software from NSO? And they haven't come up with a clear explanation. NSO has been critical of the consortium's reporting, calling aspects of it erroneous and false. But the company doesn't help its case. It says that its clients are contractually compelled to only use Pegasus to fight serious crime and terrorism but then admits, we do not operate the system, nor do we have access to the data 
of our customers. And it won't even confirm or deny which governments it sells Pegasus to. Bombarded with questions from journalists all week, it sent us an email saying enough is enough, that it will no longer be responding to media inquiries and will not play along with this vicious and slanderous campaign. They have no credibility um, because uh, ultimately to say a country is contractually bound not to abuse the system. Well, are you now going to shut down like all these countries that we now know we're abusing their, their contracts? NSO is a leading technology developer. It would really harm their business because um, the countries that really need it are the countries most likely to abuse the software. Um, so they have a lot of explaining to do. NSO Group has simply given us no reason to trust them. Uh, we, we have caught them in lies over and over again. And last of all, governments describe opposition to them as serious crime and terrorism all the time. One of the hallmarks of authoritarian government is that to oppose that government is to commit a serious crime or to commit terrorism. So saying your software is only going to be used to fight terrorism or serious crime is absolutely not a bulwark against abuse. Remember when one surefire way to prevent malware from infecting your device was to spot that dodgy looking link sent to you and deleting it? Those days are gone. Pegasus is click-free spyware. All it needs is your mobile number and you can be compromised. That is why investigative reporters meeting with sources they do not want revealed, endangered, now say they will leave their phones at home. The journalists who have been targeted by Pegasus um, face a real dilemma. Um, because they know that they're being actively targeted by a government, it becomes much more difficult for them to do their journalism and to find people who will trust them and communicate with them over the phone. So I think we're going to be looking at a lot more face-to-face -face meetings, a lot more you know, sort of alternative methods of, uh, of communication. Our sources know that they could get into trouble talking to us. That's a risk that they know that they're taking. I am not going to be taking my phone with me when I go to meet sources of very sensitive stories. It's like carrying a live CCTV with you wherever you go. 30 years into the digital age, more than 10 years after citizen journalism changed the way stories are told, reporters and their sources are seeing their mobile phones turned against them. Low-tech journalism is making a comeback, and companies like NSO and the governments using Pegasus against their own people are the ones to blame. American media outlets have been feasting on a story that's more of a spectacle, the billionaire space race. Minakshi Ravi's been examining the coverage. Mina, there's a reason that American journalists call the hot months of summer the silly season, isn't there? Absolutely. And this story fits the bill. We have three billionaires, British businessman Richard Branson, the founder of Amazon, Jeff Bezos, and tech entrepreneur Elon Musk. All three of them racing to reach the fringes of space in rockets developed by their teams. Branson won that contest a couple of weeks ago, but this past week it was Jeff Bezos' turn. This is the world's richest man, and most of his wealth comes from the mega corporation that he founded, Amazon. The corporation avoids tax around the world, is being criticized for not paying blue-collar workers a living wage, and not even giving them enough time for bathroom breaks. But put Bezos in a rocket ship, and US media outlets tend to lose their faculties. 
This interview that he did with CBS's morning news show is just one example. Okay. So what's next? Because, Jeff, you don't have to do anything, but you choose to do one of the hardest things. Well, you, you do the things that you're passionate about. Bezos owns a newspaper, The Washington Post. One of its op-eds described the billionaire space flights as important milestones. Bear in mind that human space travel began 60 years ago, while another op-ed told readers that this benefits the rest of us. Let's compare and contrast the coverage of that against the coverage of another story also about the planet that is far more consequential, climate change. And what we see there, Richard, is indefensible. According to Media Matters for America, a US-based nonprofit, the morning news shows spent 212 minutes covering Jeff Bezos' space launch in one day. That's almost as much time as they spent covering the global climate crisis all of last year. One example of the way in which the networks handle these stories uh, comes in the case of climate scientist Catherine Hayhoe. She was due to appear on CNN to discuss the record-breaking heat wave across Western North America. But her segment was dropped in order to make room for more coverage on Jeff Bezos' space launch. Okay, thanks, Mina. When Germans go to the polls in September, they will be taking part in a watershed election, voting in a new chancellor after 16 years of Angela Merkel. A major media player in that process will be billed. A tabloid paper that for nearly 70 years has been a shrill, and provocative constant in the German political landscape. Love it or hate it, few Germans are ambivalent about Bild, the influence it wields. It remains the go-to site for clickbait headlines and political scoops for readers from all walks of life. But like most legacy media outlets, Bild is struggling to maintain its relevance. It's dealing with declining circulation, some internal upheaval, and has invested heavily in online streaming and a new TV network. The Listening Post's Flo Phillips now on Build and the efforts underway to preserve the paper's place at the heart of German politics. You could say Julian Reichelt was born for the job, a child of Build. His parents met at the paper. He says that by age 13, his ambition was to become its editor-in-chief. Bild has been a companion uh, for people uh, over almost 70 years, describing their mood, catching what they care about, catching what they feel about strongly, describing that in words people understand and giving people a unique voice, especially people that feel that they're not being heard. But there is no question that this is also a very controversial brand, that there are people who strongly disagree with our editorial positions, who don't like the uh, overall genre of uh, tabloid journalism, who, um, quite frankly, despise Bild. I don't read Bild anymore. I simply refuse to. Bild aims to emotionalize, to sensationalize, and from time to time to demonize. Actual news, information that is useful and relevant, appears in the margins. But the rest is, how do I say it, meaningless. Stories about affairs and sex and crime and so on. My time is too precious for this. The problem is, for the more than half of Germany that doesn't like it, Bild is everywhere. Kiosks, train stations, laundrettes, anywhere Germans spend their time. With a daily circulation of 1.2 million and roughly 25 million online viewers a month, Bild is more widely read than papers like FRZ, Süddeutsche and Welt combined. 
It's a tabloid full of gossip and gore, but it does politics too. And its ability not just to report on events, but to influence them is why it's read by both builders on their break and government ministers in Berlin. Bild hat aus meiner Sicht eine gewisse politische... Bild has a certain political agenda that it wants to achieve. And currently, for obvious reasons, the pandemic is a big topic. Bild have played a remarkably significant role here because they've tried, once again, to influence politics with very clear messaging. They're not always successful, but every now and then, Bill do manage to shape the national discourse with a reporting that suits their own agenda. That, for the most part, is a centre-right populist agenda. Take, for example, its stream of anti-immigrant coverage over the last few years. Its narrative around Greeks out to steal German euros in the wake of the 2008 financial crisis. Or its depiction of German welfare recipients as lazy and parasitic. And the paper has the kind of political clout that cannot be ignored. Take it from three former chancellors of Germany. In 1999, Gerhard Schröder announced during his first term, all I need to govern is Bild, Bild on Sunday and the TV. He then hired a Bild editor as his press secretary. Schröder's predecessor, Helmut Kohl, and another former Bild editor were best men at each other's weddings. And Chancellor Helmut Schmidt once said that starting an argument with Bild would be an act of political suicide. That's how much power the paper has wielded over German politics. Matthias Döpfner, as Springer Vorstandsvorsitzender. Matthias Döpfner, the CEO of Axel Springer, once said that whoever goes up in an elevator with Bild needs to be prepared to go down with them as well. A good example of this is Christian Wolff. During his time as a regional politician, he had a very close relationship with Bild offering up exclusive stories about the political elite in exchange for positive coverage. However, when he became the federal president, he made it very clear to the editor at the time that he no longer appreciated what Bild was doing. And that's when Bild started a kind of witch hunt against him. And their reporting would turn even the slightest thing into a huge scandal. A tabloid doesn't just grant someone celebrity status for no reason. It's not in Bill's interest to just help a politician gain popularity. They're in it for their circulation. The moment it became more attractive to scandalize Wolf, that's what happened. And his reputation was permanently destroyed. Bild is an incredibly powerful organization, and the fear of being targeted by Bild still influences the actions of almost every politician in the land. The king-making power of Bild has always been a myth, and it would be foolish to follow that myth. A couple of years ago, Bild was too much part of you know, that whole favor game between journalists and politicians that led to, you know, misreading our respective societies. And we've changed that. Sometimes reporters go undercover to get the real story. That's what Gunter Walraff did in 1977. Only he was pretending to work as a build reporter in order to reveal the way the paper operated. His expose, Dea Aufmacher, the lead, uncovered a number of dubious journalistic practices. The picture he painted was not pretty. Back then it was a completely authoritarian system where the editor-in-chief made all the decisions. 
The headlines would come from the headquarters and those of us on the ground were then tasked with going out and doing the research. No one wanted to come back saying things were different and that the headline was completely false. Those who tried it once would be gone. After my investigation, the new editor-in-chief described Bild as having a time pre-Walraff and a time post-Walraff, and he emphasized wanting to keep a more open mind. This really did lead to a more moderate style of reporting, but now Bild has returned to being a powerful smear sheet. There are many Germans who take issue with the paper, and with Reichelt himself. Some of them even come from within his own organization. But those points of contention just add to the myriad challenges Bild faces as it tries to rectify its 75% drop in circulation over the past 20 years. When publisher Axel Springer founded Bild back in 1952, he intended it to be the printed answer to television. Under Reichelt, it isn't just print, it's online, it's live, and it's very soon to be television too. Build Live has more than 500 reporters who stream news and information, sometimes for up to 14 hours straight. When news breaks, Build Live is there, and anchors like Paul Ronsheimer have been known to flaunt their access to the powerful, sometimes reading out the text messages they get from politicians live on the air. Ich möchte einmal vorlesen, was er gerade gesagt hat. Es ähm, möchte ich sagen, eine Form von Elitenverzahnung. It reveals a kind of elitism. I find it ironic that Bild, a critic of the elite and a self-proclaimed voice of the common man, boasts about its close relationships with those very same elites. It says something about the balance and accumulation of power, and this is highly problematic from a democratic perspective. Demokratietheoretisch hoch problematisch. We're very clear about, uh, 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 you know, not, not doing any access journalism. You know, you you can talk to us. You will not get any favors for us. It's your role. It's your duty as a politician to be in touch with us, to talk to us, to explain what you're doing, and it's our job to not fall for political spin and narratives, but to tell people our own analysis of what our own reporters see on the streets, find out in their research and all that. So from the beginning, I felt that Bild has to be more political again and has to find its whole own way, a new way of telling political stories and covering politics. This is an important political moment for Germany and for Bild. Whatever Julian Reichelt professes Bild currently is or isn't, the paper clearly wants to make a splash in this watershed election. Germany, how are you doing? That's the strapline of its election coverage. The question remains, is Bild asking Germans how they feel or telling them? And finally, this past week, the British government lifted almost all coronavirus restrictions in England, which, given that the UK has Europe's highest rate of new infections is a controversial move. Prime Minister Boris Johnson has taken a lot of heat over his handling of the pandemic, including his decision to delay lockdowns, one that scientists say undoubtedly cost lives. According to a former colleague, Johnson's dithering can be traced back to the anti-lockdown crusade in sections of the UK's right-wing press, newspapers, like the Daily Telegraph, where Johnson used to work as a reporter, and the tabloid, the Daily Mail. Which brings us to Dale Maley. 
He's a fake journalist character created by an actor-comedian, Jolien Rubenstein. May Lee is a correspondent for the fictitious Good British News. That's a play on the UK's new right-leaning channel, GB News. He went to a protest held by COVID skeptics in London. He trolled the demonstrators on their beliefs and the tabloids on their so-called journalism. We'll see you next time here at The Listening Post. Mummy, what's a chin? Don't be surprised if you hear your child say that because they've been looking at too many of these. I don't know about you, but I'm sick of these scientists sticking a cotton bud down the throat of society and telling us how to live. They are a bunch of nefarious, luciferian and we're going to bring them down. Well, there you have it. And as you're here, you know, standing in the park with this freedom of saying whatever you want, can you feel the hand of the New World Order upon us? Uh, yes. And can you still feel like the hand of the Illuminati here upon us? Um, definitely, yeah. Not, not here. Not right not, here, not, not but here. in general, in general yes. there. But yes. just not here, not here, but over there. Over there, definitely. Over there. Yeah, no tests, no masks. Never wash my hands every two minutes. None of it. I mean, I actually, I actually went to the toilet five minutes ago, and I haven't washed my hands. But you don't mind, do you? We're blokes. That's what you do. Sorry, sir. Can I just confirm? Are you? Is it? Is it a public health emergency? Are you concerned today? And are you working for George Soros? I'm not going to be answering any questions. So you are actually. You won't speak about working for the New World Order. As you can see here, as you can see, more policemen, more of George Soros's army. People have had enough, and when people have had enough, we do not take it. Freedom. Freedom! Freedom!